Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show and Salut Babette. Beyond Zero Emissions is proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. They are the traditional owners of this land we are broadcasting from. We'd like to pay our respects to their ancestors and elders past, present and emerging. Tonight's show is Episode 4 in a series, Building Up Knowledge and Motivation to join the climate action strike on September the 20th. It was initiated by the students, but now a lot of adults, workers, uh, retired people, and just everyone you can think of is welcome to come to this strike. The idea was to get uh, more than 300,000 people. They got 150,000, the students, in March, and now they want to double that. There's research to show that if you if you get 3.5% of the population engaged in something, you know, a broad demographic and it's nonviolent, then you are very likely to have political lasting success. And we discussed this later in the show tonight, and apparently the students have actually calculated that. Um, that, that percentage of the Australian population will be 880,000 people. So there's a lot of of work to be done to mobilise and tell all your friends between now and the 20th of September to please come out. It's on in every city of capital city. It's in a lot of regional cities as well. You go to the strikeforclimate.org website and you just have a look at the cities and the places where there are already events and you're also invited to create your own event. So there's plenty of how to do it on that and that's going to be our first interview. We'll talk to somebody about all the resources and how to just organise. You don't have to go and speak to strangers. You can just do this with your friends and ask them to bring their friends. Just multiply your numbers. So um, tonight we have a mixture of practical and reflective items. We'll hear from that young man whose name is Jagveer Singh about how to organise. And we'll also hear from someone from 350.org. Her name is Hoda Baraka. And her idea is how can we build a fossil-free world? What would it look like? through divestment and people power. You know, none, none of this is violent action. It's all about just using our brains and our uh, cooperation with others. And then we'll go to the Common Dreams Conference in Sydney to hear, uh, I spoke to um, a minister there called Jason Johns, and he tells us how progress, the progressive part of the church is mobilising people for the September the 20th Global Strike for Climate Action. And those people are, are doing this from a very advanced thinking. They have the grief of people. They're realising the psychological impact this is having on people, and they're there to comfort them, but they're also there to mobilise them to take action because that's one of the best ways to stop being depressed is to go out and take action collectively with other people. And then I've got something very different. I recorded this interview about a month ago, and it's uh, quite a long interview to finish, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a, a Buddhist monk called Tejapala Rolls, and he I actually met him at the comedy. Uh, he did a comedy festival item um, in the Sustainable Living Festival. He did a comedy turn, so he's a, a Buddhist monk with a good sense of humour, and you'll really enjoy what he has to say. It's very practical. He's very involved with the climate movement. And he tells us about something called the ancient myth of the Shambhala warrior and the poetic response to this by one of um, somebody he knows, who's our contemporary, called Akupa, I think another Buddhist monk. Now, my idea is that people have always faced an existential crisis. It's just that we weren't always in a global world where we, you know, can see the crisis so clearly, even if it's on thousands and thousands of kilometres away. Um, but people have always faced ex existential crises and the feeling of apocalypse. And the climate movement, he says, Tejapala says, climate movement needs to be cooperative. We need to develop the resilient mindset that will help us work together. I think we also need to be able to have the emotional resilience to be able to cope with the fact that it is an emergency. And it's a conversation about going into the corridors of power and dismantling the mindset that people who are causing the climate destruction have. I mean, children say to us, you know, well, all those presidents and world leaders, all they need to do is just look at their own children and uh, realise that they're creating a horrific future for them. And surely that would stop them. But that is not what you're up against. You're up against a really stuck state of mind. And by working on our own state of mind, according to Tedra Pala, 
we can have the sort of courage and resilience we need to disarm those people in power and turn them around because that's what's needed right now. So I hope you enjoy this show. It's a little bit different from the usual one and I hope you go to the strike on the 20th of September, whether you're a worker, whether you're not working, whether you're in a country town or a city, just try to show yourself out there so you can be counted and so that the great big conference in United Nations on in New York on the uh, three days later, United Nations Emergency Climate Conference, will have evidence by all the photos and social media and just evidence that these these people really want a big new change and give them a bit of uh, muscle. So here we'll start with Jagveer Singh. The School Strike for Climate website has loads of clear instructions how you can get involved and so I've invited Jagveer Singh to take us through them. Hi Jagveer, how are preparations going for September the 20th? Hello, it's really good to be here. Uh, the preparations are going really well. We're really excited about September 20th, especially after our first strike on March 15, which is an incredible success. So we're hoping this one goes really well too. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we're hoping world leaders will be noticing because it's global and there's a United Nations climate emergency meeting three days after. So this should be a visual and palpable, you know, image yeah. for them to have in mind. You're certainly very right. Um, you know, that's the whole idea of having it on September 20, that, you know, uh, when global leaders meet uh, the week after um, in the, in, uh, in the, at the UN, uh, they, you know, climate change is at the forefront and it's a, it's a big issue and hopefully all countries take ambitious action to, you know, um, to achieve climate justice for all. Yeah. Well, look, the organising resources, I want the listeners to know uh, reasons why they should go to your website, School Strike Number 4 Climate. Um, the organising resources include posters and flyers that you can print out and also letters to schools... Uh, like to school principals and to politicians. They're very nice <laughs> letters. They they yeah. tell you exactly, for example, um, letter to a school principal, if they disapprove of all of this, you can say, um, we understand that you do not approve of the recent strikes. We would like to assure you that we take our son or daughter's education very seriously, but on Friday, September the 20th, calling for action on this global crisis will take precedence. So they're telling you how to write letters. Even They've even written out a letter to a principal who might not want the child to go from school, but I think this is really very well organised. So what else is in the resources that you think? Yeah. If you hop onto our website, schoolstrikeforclimate.com, you'll find a bunch of tabs at the top. And if you click on the second tab, which is the resources tab, you'll find a list of resources that we've got for everyone who wants to utilise them. So, um, yeah, hop on there. You know, then we've got posters and flyers. And if you don't like our posters or flyers, you know, you can make your own. We've got a style guide there as well, which you can use to give it the school strike for climate dial. And we've got letter to, uh, you know, how to write a letter to your schools, principals and politicians as well. And, you know, how to organize a meeting with your politician. Uh, and we've got tips as well on how to talk to your politician about it. Because, we know, you know, as kids, we're not always uh, ready for these things. So we've got these resources to help everyone out. Yeah, have you ever been to visit politicians regarding this? Uh, I have on numerous occasions, actually. Oh. <laughs> well, but, I think this uh, is quite an education, really. People, I think it's ridiculous saying, oh, they shouldn't take off the Friday afternoon because really kids who are doing this and visiting unions, I've seen in Sydney young people, 14 years old, standing up speaking to trade unions and really listening to what the answers are. I think it's a marvellous education. Yeah, I certainly agree. And, and, you know, the whole point is that uh, despite taking a day off, we are, you know, despite taking a day off, we are actually going to be teaching everyone a lesson. We will be, going to, we will be teaching a very important lesson to everyone about what climate justice is and, you know, why we need it because you know, it's our generation's will be facing this issue. So, yeah, we want to teach a lesson by taking a day off school. Yeah, well, I think so. It's hard to imagine the global nature, though, of this. You know, I've seen a map with lots of little dots on it, but it's just hard to imagine children, you know, young people all around the world getting on the same page about this. But I've read some research about how social movements reach their goal, and they say that really only about 3.5% of the population needs to be engaged and that means it says on the website 880,000 Australians so they've even calculated how many Australians they want to turn out I think that could easily come out around Australia on September the 20th but tell the listeners how 
You know, for example, to how to host an, an event. This is a few days before the thing. If people want to, for example, just invite people over and talk about it and build the numbers that way, how would how would you go about that? There's numerous ways you can do it. You know, invite your friends over to your house and uh, sit down for a casual talk and bring it up and you know, tell them why you will be striking and inspire them with your story as to why you're striking and why they should strike as well. You can talk to, uh, you know, if your school allows it, your school assembly, if, if the workers allow it, so, you know, you could put a print a poster and put it in the, uh, the tea room and uh, and the lunchroom. So um, there's numerous ways you can, you know, build momentum. And I guess the best part is, you know, the one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have, uh, and they can only be had uh, with people that you know and, you know, outside that you don't know and you don't feel comfortable with. So have those conversations and, you know, meet people and tell them about your story, why you're striking. Yeah. Ask them if they're happy to do that. And, yeah, that's how you, you know, build momentum towards uh, a global moment like this. I know you mentioned it's really hard to imagine the global nature of the strike, but, you know, we're living in, uh, we live in the 21st century. We've got all this technology. You know, social media keeps us all connected despite being in different parts of the world. So, you know, use, use this tool. Post about it on social media. Use the hashtag climate strike and, get, and reach your audience and reach, you know, your family members, your friends and anyone who wants to get involved. Have you been in touch with people in other countries? Do you get that feeling that people in lots of continents and places are taking it up? Uh, certainly, yeah. Um, I know the school strike team has been in contact with a lot of different countries and people from different nations uh, talking about what we want to do globally. And, you know, uh, that's how we discuss these things. So, yeah, we're, you know, we're working with people across across the world and across Australia. Well, look, the students have been talking to unions since the... Um, I think they learned a lesson from the climate election, that we were, it was meant to be a climate election, Labor Party was meant to win, and then we'd be pressuring the Labor Party to have more ambitious policies. But it didn't happen. And uh, I think many students I've spoken to said they, they've learned that they need to show more knowledge and solidarity with actual workers who some of them have been turned into villains by the need to reduce emissions, you know, like forestry workers and mine, coal mine workers, and it's really not their fault. That's where they're getting their bread and butter. So I think the students have been reaching out to them. Well, what, what is your experience of that, speaking to unionists? Do you, do you feel yeah. you've been on a learning curve about that too? You're right. You know, the last election had many lessons for everyone, and one of the biggest lessons was that there's no climate justice without workers' justice. Workers who work in these industries... Um, you know, at the end of the day, the same corporations that are polluting our planet are also exploiting our workers. The election was that the labor movement and the climate movement must work together because, you know, these workers are being exploited by the same companies that are also polluting our planet. So, you know, if we work together, we can achieve a lot more. Yeah, and I think uh, we we can't uh, demonize them because we need everybody involved. Yeah, you're totally right. We we need everyone involved, including those who work in this industry, and no one should be left behind. What experience have you had? Have you been out to unions and talked to them? Oh yes, I have. Uh, I've had the you know the privilege to go out and talk to union members at unions, and they've been really really supportive of the idea. You know, this is just so because we know climate change isn't just an issue that affects one person or a certain group of people. Climate change is an issue that affects everyone. So, you know, there's there's um, nearly all people are concerned about climate change, and you know, it's about communicating how we how we transition to uh, to zero percent uh, net zero. Um, we've been talking to unions and we've updated our demands, the school strike for climate demands, to include a just transition for workers because we believe, you know, again, that workers deserve um, a just transition and, you know, proper opportunities and shouldn't be a disadvantage because they work in these certain industries. Yeah, well, that's uh, exactly in line with what the group I'm with, Beyond Zero Emissions, we're always printing these blueprints for exactly how it would happen, you know, like a pathway with the flesh on yeah. the bones, you know, not just an airy kind. I think a lot of workers in Queensland, for example, might have taken offence with people from the big cities coming up there and waving their hands in the air and talking about a just transition without any real detail about how yeah. it would work. So that's really good. You've learned that. It's, you know, I think for people in the younger age group to know that, really know that and go ahead, then things are going to get a lot 
error because you yeah. can't be just living on illusory yeah. ideas that you might just get in the city. Really important to like yeah. talk about just transition because you know things like just transition. You know these workers who've been working in uh, in the mining industry for their whole life, and you know for example, if it's a 55 year old, they're not going to be reskilled. You know when they're like 60 to work for another five years. You know we need to look at things like early retirement for these workers, or you know uh, retraining skills and all these other other policies areas in which we can help these workers because it's not their fault that they work in these industries. <laughs> yeah, and until now, a lot of them have been very proud of it. They've been proud of providing us with energy, for example. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yauru country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. I'm trying to get listeners to go to the website, School Strike for Slu- um, What is the website? Um, school Strike for Climate. So School Strike and then number four, climate.com. And, and, and then you go to the uh, September 20th resources and look at the resources. It won't all be over on September the 20th. And there's something there on that website saying that, that there will be a lot of people turned on to this, woken up by this. And I want to know how you suggest that uh, you can absorb all this new interest and channel it into your upcoming plans, because uh, certainly the climate movement's not going to go away after that date. Yeah, you're very right. We, or, you know, nothing's going away after this. Uh, we'll be pressuring the government of the day, uh, the Morrison government, to act. Um, you know, including on the day and after, we will continue our advocacy um, and campaigning until we, you know, we achieve climate justice um, and justice for all. So these things will definitely continue, you know, even after September 20. On the day, there will be heaps of sign-up places where you can sign up. So, you know, there we'll have we'll have numbers where you can text and you can sign up. So we'll have heaps of places where, to connect with these um, attendees of the strike uh, so that we can keep in touch after. The plans after September 20 uh, are not yet concrete, so uh, I'm not allowed to discuss them. No. <laughs> uh, but... But yeah, that's our plan. You know, we'll be trying to engage with everyone who attends the strike. Yeah, and like this uh, program goes to Melbourne listeners, but on the podcast, uh, people from all over the country listen to it. And there are these uh, strikes just about in every, all in all the capital cities, but in lots of other regional cities like Bega, Wagga Wagga. I just noticed a few Ballarat, Geelong, around uh, Victoria, and and a lot in Queensland, Mackay, Townsville, you know, so, and in Perth, Bunbury. And so I noticed just, you'd go to the website, you'll see there's one near you, and also they're encouraging people to, you know, like, it's only a week away now. People, please meet your friends, get them together, try and get as many people to come with you as you can because it's the numbers. Now, just talking about numbers... I read a little bit on the website about some research that was done in America by a woman called Erica Chernoweth. And yeah. Extinction Rebellion have been very impressed by her. And they've done all these things, you know, sort of clogging up the traffic, stopping the traffic, not causing annoyance, but there's nothing really, um, nothing dangerous. It's based on a nonviolent principle. I think a lot of the students would be also following this kind of philosophy, but it wasn't just a philosophy airy sort of thing. Shonaworth said that she she was kind of cynical about nonviolent mass action and how could that be more powerful than armed conflict and so she, she looked into historic examples, you know, many, many historic examples and she found that nonviolence was twice as likely to succeed and it led 53% of the time to real political change. And you think, well, yeah, we want change to be lasting. It can't be just a flash in the pan. It needs to be a lasting political change. And she said one reason for that was because nonviolent action can recruit a broader demographic. So all different points of the compass, difficult, different political ideas, different religious backgrounds can all kind of come together on this nonviolent action. I wonder if you would like to, um, you know, that can cause disruption to the city life this is going to cause disruption to business you know striking people taking time off taking a roster day off somehow uh, showing and telling demonstrating their concern for climate action so could you speak to, to the listeners jake about why sheer numbers matter tell the audience why you know all of them are needed and why non-violent action in your experience why you think that's the way to go yeah 
Well, well, everyone's needed because this is an issue that affects everyone, and everyone needs to get out and show the government that they care about this issue because it's, it affects them. So, you know, that's one reason why uh, the numbers matter. But also, if you look at you know the history of protests, um, you know, typically you know a large proportion of the population has to come out. Um, and demonstrate that they're not happy with certain things for government to take actions on things that the government might, might not believe in. So um, that that is why we need to get more and more people out there. I think, you know, in a, uh, we're planning to get hundreds and thousands of people out there. At last strike, we had 150,000 people uh, striking um, across Australia. So this strike, you know, we're planning to get even more people striking. On the non-violent aspect, well, of course, any kind of political discourse that you're having should be non-violent and, you know, violence is, uh, violence is never the answer. And, you know, that's the principle of school strike. We conduct non-violent activities. Thank you very much, Jag. I wish you well with your university work you're up to now and uh, thank you for speaking to us on the radio. It's good media experience for you, but also I think you're getting good experience talking to unions and, and politicians as well and you must be getting quite a good education out of this, I think, in, in the realities of what we're up against. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Here's how we avert a worsening climate crisis and build a renewable and fair society together and fast. It's not about changing light bulbs or expecting your elected officials to lead. It's about you taking action right now where you have the most power, your very own community. We, the people, have to take down the fossil fuel industry if we want to replace it with renewable energy for all. The fossil fuel industry has spent decades creating and denying a climate crisis that is already affecting millions of us around the world. So how do we take down the most powerful industry in the history of the world? It's quite simple, actually, by building enough local people power. Fossil fuel companies only have the power that we are willing to give them. They are supported by our public institutions, giving them social acceptability through sponsorships and partnerships, our very own investments, allowing them to expand into new fossil fuel projects that are completely unnecessary, our politicians, allowing them to operate and pollute within our very own communities. But look what happens if enough people are pushing against those very pillars of support. What if communities all over the world stand up for themselves and say, no more fossil fuel projects. Not here, not anywhere. If we pass local bans and organize ourselves to resist fossil fuel projects in our very communities. Not a penny more for dirty energy. If our universities, museums, pension funds divest from fossil fuels and refuse their tainted sponsorships. Now imagine how much more quickly those pillars of support will fall if we are accelerating a just and fair transition to 100% renewable energy for all. If we're actively promoting the kind of community-controlled and just alternatives we want to see. Um, I'm at a conference in Sydney called Common Dreams and it's sort of about eco-spirituality and I have someone here called Jason John. Welcome Jason, tell us about what you're doing. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the Uniting Earth Advocates. So I'm a minister in the Uniting Church and I work for Uniting now mostly on uh, climate advocacy and helping the church and others engage with the climate crisis that's unfolding around us. Well, something I'm worried about is the young people because I see a lot of these young people um, on the school strike for school strikes for climate and they're very young and I used to be a teacher and I'm hearing the words coming out we're terrified, we're frightened and they're getting on the front foot and so all of us have to get behind them but what do you feel as an adult about them? Yeah well I think firstly the fact that they're taking action is great because I think you know it it's said anecdotally that anger when it's kind of frozen and can't be acted on is more likely to lead to depression so the fact that they've actually uh, taking steps to do something is really positive and important and I've noticed the language is changing from wanting adults to support them to wanting adults to join them um, and I think that's a really positive shift um, and you know there are a lot of 
adults that have been involved in all kinds of movements through the years as well and so reconnecting some of them together I think and you know there's a lot of wisdom from people that marched for Vietnam and have been involved in climate marches before so I think the youth engagement's a a new moment in time um, but there's a a big community that's wanting to gather around them and support them too I think. And I think they have um, emphasised they want all of us, they want everybody in it, they don't want people from all the old party divisions and all of that, they want people and all backgrounds. So that's a, a healthy thing, but at the tone they're saying is, you haven't done enough, you, you know, it's Greta Thunberg is saying, you have let us down, You, the house is burning, you should be panicking, and I, I that puts a sword through my heart, and I think, yes, I have been doing everything I can, but it's still not enough, how about you? Yeah, look, I think certainly overall it's undeniable. Um, at the individual level, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like I know plenty of older people who've dedicated their lives to yeah. trying to make the world a better place, uh, but clearly we're losing <laughs> that that battle. You know, 1% of people control half the world's wealth. Um, so, yeah, I think the need to come together... Um, the Uniting Church in New South Wales last week, uh, our synod, so our state-level organisation, voted to support youth in their climate action, including climate strikes, so the Uniting Church will be there in force. Um, Yeah, I think uh, we need to emphasise our commonality Mm. um, against a very, very small proportion of the population that are actually driving us in the wrong direction because they have so much wealth invested in it most of us only stand to lose by not dealing with climate change well come to the idea of the church a lot of people listening to this won't be affiliated with any sort of church i think and and so they want to be standing side by side but how do what do you think is we're here at a conference one of the speakers here's a theologian called uh, matthew fox who gave a rousing talk last night he talked for more than an hour very interesting and sort of biblical references those references wouldn't be available to a lot of people what what do you feel the um church that church or other churches have to contribute or, or spirituality in general has to contribute to people going for the long haul on this um, activism yeah so i think two things i mean i guess like as christians the motivation to be engaged comes from two directions. Those Christians who kind of emphasise the divinity of Jesus see the whole creation as having been created, you know, by the word of God and therefore it's all charged with spirituality and contains, you know, God, expressions of God. Uh, for people like me down the other end of the spectrum, I guess, just about all of Jesus' teachings were about wealth and the dangers of wealth um, and the need to resist that constant temptation. Uh, and climate change is simply a symptom of the accumulation of wealth yeah. by nations like it's i mean climate change is now front and center in front of us but it's it's not the it, it's a problem but it's not the problem if yeah. we solve climate change we've still got a whole bunch of other oh. things to go most of which is the unjust distribution of wealth in the world um in terms of what the church has to contribute in terms of spirituality i guess um the positive parts of the church have for a long time known that uh, action also requires reflection and time out to recharge and to really think about what the priorities are Uh, and I guess believing in God that there is a a kind of divine perspective on all of this that we can lose sight of and needing to get that bird's eye view again almost of of what's going on Um, so yeah as much as the church has been in the way of social justice and progressive movements in the past it's always had a current of people that have been at the forefront of it it's a very paradoxical bunch of people yeah all with the same book (laughs) yeah yeah, yes exactly but listen um now you said to me you were in you have done your own radio program in the past um and jason admitted this to me listeners because i couldn't get my recorder to work (laughs) and i finally did but um that's good you were so you're a radio person you know what it is talking to a big wide public um, do you, what do you think about the media around climate change? Like the last 10 years, 20 years, say, we've all mostly had our ideas about climate change mediated to us by journalists of all different types. Yeah. Um, what, what's your feeling about that? Do you think they could try harder or do something different? Yeah, well, I guess first off, in terms of large audience, I was on Wednesday at 9pm after the country <laughs> hour, so I'm not sure how many people were still listening. But um, in terms of the media, yeah, I was talking with my boss about this, um, Emma Maiden, who 
was kind of talking about, you know, what's wrong with the messaging? Why aren't people getting it? Uh, and that's a really good question to ask. But I think part of it is also we just had a guy up north spending $60 million deceiving people about, you know, Adani and jobs and climate. And, you know, most of the media that most people listen to is owned by a very small number of people that make billions of dollars out of the industries we're trying to stop. So I'm not sure to what extent it is that we're not, that we haven't got the message right. It's just in this capitalist country, it's very hard to get the message out if the people that own the media don't want to. So there are some journalists doing fantastic work, um, but yeah, they're not in the papers that everybody's reading. Yeah, and they're not campaigners. This is like this program. I interview campaigners and activists, but they don't seem to be in touch with the people who are on the ground. Is that your feeling? Um, I don't know. I guess I'm only probably in the last year or so shifting more over into the campaigning side of things. Like most of our emphasis in the past has been just trying to reconnect people with the earth around them and make them fall in love again with the creation and because in the hope that when you love something you'll protect it um but as it's felt more and more that time's just desperately running out we're now kind of trying to engage more in okay let's do something and i guess for the people that have fallen in love like okay what are we going to do um so yeah in terms of the out of touch i don't it's really hard to know um certainly there are a lot of people uh, on marginal incomes for whom or you know not even a decent income you know where providing a roof over your head in sydney is almost impossible and finding accommodation that is actually you can live in during the hot summer and the freezing winter you know it makes perfect sense that a lot of people are preoccupied with just getting through the day um so making it easy for them to get engaged in dealing with climate change which would actually make it easy for us all to get through the day it's it's a big ask um and I think, you know, the, the media that are blocking that from happening, are, you know, I don't believe in hell, but if I did, <laughs> they would be, I would love them to be accountable at, yeah. somehow for their actions. Yeah, that's right. All right. Um, well, have you got any last words? Just speak to the Melbourne listeners, what you want them to do in the next few months thinking about climate action. It's only going to get worse until it gets better. So Yeah. Um, if you're down in Melbourne, well, if, if you're involved in any kind of religious organisation there's the season of creation in September I'd invite you to get involved with that all of that's going to be focused on getting people along on September the 20th to the rallies to really put pressure on politicians even though we're post-election so you know it's it's different pressure but um, yeah if a few rich people can exert lots of pressure it takes lots and lots and lots of the rest of us to push in the other direction and I think it's a strike on the 20th of September yes yeah well it's a strike if you work and if you're not just go (laughs) thank you so that was uh, Jason Johns who's a minister in the Uniting Church and we're just talking in Sydney Our guest tonight is Tejapala Rolls. He is a member of the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change and I've invited him to read us some inspiring words from an ancient text and a modern uh, adaptation. I heard it first at a ritual of healing and hope in Sydney after so many people had thrown such a lot into the climate election and were feeling quite dispirited. So over to you, Tejapala. There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. Barbarian powers have arisen. Although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate each other, they have much in common. Weapons of unfathomable devastation and technologies that lay waste the world. It is now, when the future of all beings hangs by the frailest of threads, that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. Now comes the time when great courage is required of the Shambhala warriors, moral and physical courage, for they must go into the very heart of the barbarian power and dismantle the weapons. To remove these weapons, in every sense of the word, they must go into the corridors of power where the decisions are made. The Shambhala warriors know they can do this because the weapons are made by the human mind, so they can be unmade by the human mind. The Shambhala warriors know that the dangers that threaten life on earth do not come from evil deities or extraterrestrial powers. They arise from our own choices and relationships. So, now, the Shambhala warriors must go into training. Thank you. Now, explain to us the next part that you were more familiar with. 
of so what I've just read is is a is a description of of the of the Tibetan ancient Tibetan myth of the Shambhala warrior, the, mm-hmm. the prophecy of the Shambhala warrior. Um, the next part is a series of verses, which was written by a member of the Buddhist order, which I was ordained into, uh, a man called Akupa. He wrote it in two thousand and five, um, and uh, he he wrote it uh, as a sort of poetic response in the current situation to do mostly with the climate crisis. And so he's an Australian man. He's our contemporary. He's not Australian, actually. He's uh, British. Yeah. He lives in uh, Newcastle. Right. Uh, but, uh, yes, he is our contemporary. Fantastic. Well, look, read this because I, I know listeners might be thinking, oh, this is too poetic for me. Or, But I'm thinking that we all need to take heart, listeners. We need to find the courage to navigate the next few decades properly. Sure, thank you. The Shambhala Warrior Mind Training. Firmly establish your intention to live your life for the healing of the world. Be conscious of it. Honour it. Nurture it every day. Be fully present in our time. Find the courage to breathe in the suffering of the world. Allow peace and healing to breathe out you, out through you in return. Do not meet power on its own terms. See through it to its real nature, mind and heart made. Lead your response from that level. Simplify. Clear away the dead wood in your life. Look for the heart wood and give it the first call on your time, the best of your energy. Put down the leaden burden of saving the world alone. Join with others of like mind. Align yourself with the forces of resolution. Hold in a single vision, in the same thought, the transformation of yourself and the transformation of the world. Live your life around that edge, always keeping it in sight. As a bird flies on two wings, balance outer activity with inner sustenance. Following your heart, realise your gifts. Cultivate them with diligence to offer knowledge and skill to the world. Train in non-violence of body, speech and mind, and with great patience with yourself, Learn to make each action beautiful, each word and thought. In the crucible of meditation, bring forth day by day into your own heart the treasury of compassion, wisdom and courage for which the world longs. Sit with hatred until you feel the fear beneath it. Sit with fear until you feel the compassion beneath that. Do not set your heart on particular results, Enjoy positive action for its own sake and rest confident that it will bear fruit. When you see violence, greed and narrow-mindedness in the fullness of its power, walk straight into the heart of it, remaining open to the sky and in touch with the earth. Staying open, staying grounded, remember that you are the inheritor of the strengths of thousands of generations of life. Staying open, staying grounded, Recall that the thankful prayers of future generations are silently with you. Staying open, staying grounded, be confident in the magic and power that arise when people come together in a great cause. Staying open, staying grounded, know that the deep forces of nature will emerge to the aid of those who defend the earth. Staying open, staying grounded, have faith that the higher forces of wisdom and compassion will manifest through our actions for the healing of the world. When you see weapons of hate, disarm them with love. When you see armies of greed, meet them in the spirit of sharing. When you see fortresses of narrow mind, them breach them with the truth. When you find yourself enshrouded in dark clouds of dread, dispel them with fearlessness. When forces of power seek to isolate us from each other, reach out with joy. In it and through it all, holding to your intention, let go into the music of life. Dance. That has a big effect on me, and I'm thinking today of listeners who might have been fighting against the Adani mine, for example, and today we're speaking in Fitzroy, and that another decision has been made to empower that to happen. It has indeed, and I work on that as a, as a community organiser and a campaign yeah. for the Australian religious response to climate change, and yes, it's a, it's, it's a very difficult time, and so um, I, I guess... How you might respond to that, well, as an, as an ordained Buddhist, I mean, how I would respond to that is that uh, it's crucial to be aware of and to be able to work on one's states of mind. Mm. That's not to say that you don't also try and work on the world around you 
but I guess the uh, the um, the fundamental point is that you know if you speak or act out of say let's say just with a friend you speak or act with irritability yeah um, the consequences of that don't tend to be good and that's the that's the fundamental Buddhist approach really that that um, that consequences flow from your states of mind. And so, you know, looking after your states of mind is not just a matter of looking after yourself when you might be burning out. It's actually, it's crucial to whatever actions you take. Mm. So what do you take from these words, you know, for yourself and your own activism on climate change? I know you're as upset about it as yeah. the rest of us. Yeah, sure. I mean, on a on a really basic level, I mean, it, it's inv- it involves um, trying to, uh, it involves keeping up my meditation practice and it involves keeping up a- awareness of my states of mind and you know not acting out of or speaking out of of hatred or or contempt or disrespect um but in what it what it does is it inspires me to say well look fundamentally even though i am working on the climate crisis yeah. what i'm what i'm really interested in is is um the breaking down of the difference between what you think of as yourself Mm. And, you, and the world, mm. actually, the line between those two things is much less hard than we like to think. And I'm interested in in the, the transformation of the human consciousness, so that we can we can break that down uh, and use this moment as, as a time when it's. I mean, it's clear that we're in a situation where what one person does can profoundly affect the rest of the world. Interconnectedness is it's a very easy concept to grasp. I mean, the Buddhist tradition went on about it for centuries, but mm. in the contemporary situation, you know. All it takes is, um, I don't know, Clive Palmer to throw $60 million worth of advertising. One person can have a huge effect, can't they? Or Greta Thunberg can speak to Jeremy Corbyn and the United Nations and the exactly. Davos Forum. Exactly. Tiny and that, young girl. And all that took was courage and determination and mm. complete willingness to, to um, do what she was going to do without knowing what the consequences mm. would be. I mean, we kind of worry at a moment like this, don't we? That Oh, gosh, you know, Adani's got this groundwater approval, and mm. how do we see what the way forward is? Uh, but Greta didn't have a particular way forward. She just stood outside the Swedish parliament with a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and these days she's talking to everyone from Arnold Schwarzenegger to the Pope. <laughs> yes, that's fine. Yes, I think we could get a bit too carried away by this. But on the other hand, there is such a thing as a ripple effect. But how do you keep it up? I mean, these Shambhala warrior ideas are from hundreds of years ago and sure. people have always faced an existential crisis I think I think people it always probably looks like that except that we know scientifically now that it is really I, I don't know about that I mean I do t- I do tend to think that the, the, the climate situation is a bit unlike anything we've ever had before yeah. but of course yes people have faced things like the I don't know the plague yeah in the past um, plague or the invasions the war you know endless war sure I mean so how do you Pestilence, drought, flood, those, you know, for people living more locally, not in a global village, they it must have looked like the end of the world. Yeah. I think people have always struggled with this, and that's how to be courageous, how to be unified yeah. and not make it worse. Well, the biggest one's fear, I think. Mm. And I, I think it's a really interesting situation because we're using the language of the climate emergency at the moment. I think we need to. Mm. Um, but I think we also need to be able to have the emotional resilience to be able to cope with the fact that it is an emergency. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean, I find it very interesting. There's a, there's a, uh, a piece, a much even earlier Buddhist text I was reading the other day, which was to do with deal, dealing with fear and dread. Mm. And essentially what it seemed to be saying in a nutshell was um, if you live in a way where you are, you know, you're very conscientious about your own ethics and you're very conscientious about your own states of mind, um, yes, there will be objectively frightening things. It was to do with um, – the text was to do with walking through the forest in ancient India and mm. maybe there being you know, like animals that were mm. – and you know, they really were. Um, but, you know, what do you do about the fear that comes upon you in the middle of the night when, when, in relation to all that? Well, you can do something about that. And, if, and it, the text was saying, well, if you live very, very ethically and if you live we're conscientious about your states of mind, you will actually in a certain way have a kind of armor – it won't make the the likelihood of a of an attack more or less, but um, it will make the likelihood of freaking out an awful lot less, mm. and that helps. And it's necessary because at the moment, as you know, I, I mean, one thing I disagree with with Greta Thunberg on is is she says, um, you know, I want you to panic. Um, I want people to realize personally the gravity and, and, and of the situation, but then I want them to act with all the calm of an experienced military commander. Quite mm. frankly. Um, or, or of a Buddhist master. Mm-hmm. 
thing is we're not unified. The climate movement seems to be a huge jigsaw puzzle of people and groups and, and uh, as you said, in the election there's big money on the other side, which is usually invisible. You know, we don't know the money that passes hands and the influence in power yeah. that powerful people you know, um, receive. So how is it? How do you think it could be more uniform, unified? I mean, well, I think at the moment we're facing a particular, uh, a particular problem with that, mm. because uh, there was a very high degree of uniformity, and not even uniformity, just cooperation, mm. prior to the election. Um, I know that there were something like twenty organisations across the country working to the same strategy, yeah. uh, more or less. And what's happened since then has been, well, the strategy relied on um, uh, this current government not being re-elected. Um, and so the strategy got blown out of the water. In the meantime, um, all of those organizations are working very, very fast right now and putting together another strategy, which I believe you know will be ready quite soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is we've got a sort of, it'll be a month between the election mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. And so you know what people realize is, gosh, I don't really know what I'm doing, what's going on here. I mm. don't really know what the way forward is. I don't. Mm. And so people start putting forward their own ideas, um, and fair enough. Uh, the problem is that that's the moment when everyone might have all quite different ideas. Mm. And the other thing that's happened is, of course, um, thank goodness, um, things like Extinction Rebellion have come to the fore, um, and that's really more of a grassroots thing than in, than lots of organisations as mm. such. And so this is a moment when we really do need to concentrate on on cooperation and i think the the fundamental uh kind of practice in terms of states of mind to go back to the mm. text is um is loving kindness yeah it's cultivation of loving kindness and compassion because when you do that practice yes you might have differences but you don't tend to argue about them so much mm. and you can find ways to cooperate yeah i think that's the crucial thing the, the mental state really matters yeah you can't afford to be brittle and just storm off <laughs> No. <laughs> you have to stick together. Um, something I thought in the text was good was don't be attached to outcomes. So I was in a forum with Extinction Rebellion in Sydney and someone said, what if we don't stop Adani? And he said, well, that's the end. And then she said, but we have to go on. The person in the audience said, you have to go on. He said, yes, yes, I realise that. It's not the end of the world because... It is the end of the world. And it was so brilliant, that idea that you do have to go and you can't be attached to that outcome that we'll stop Adani. We, we didn't stop Moore's Creek, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it's a, it's a really interesting tension between, on the one hand, you know, the the, um, the political strategist in me says, well, you bloomin' well need to know your strategy. Mm. Um, and the Buddhist practitioner in me says, yeah, and you need not to be attached, mm. at least in the sense of ego. Mm. Attachment. I mean, I think it's good to be clear about what you need to work really hard on, mm. but kind of egotistical attachment is another thing. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, also letting go, not being attached to results, kind of refers usually to um, to a state of mind of equanimity, which is kind of the culmination of a whole lot of different things: compassion, mm. loving kindness, mm. um, sympathetic joy in other mm. people's happiness. Mm. And just awareness that things are, you know, impermanent and conditioned. And if you bring all those together, you sort of you get a kind of a state that's a really, it's a really unflappable state, but it's still deeply kind. And that is sort of, I think that's what that that part of the text is trying to get yeah. at. Can you respond from that state of mind? Yes, I I, th- I think it's a lot of people might think of Buddhist Buddhists or Buddhist countries as places where people are very. Um, very full of equanimity where they don't take on the big things and the Christian societies are more the crusader yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, we Now we're all joined in this feeling of fighting climate change mm. or um, preventing climate change. Well, on a practical level, people can do all the organisational things, the Extinction Rebellion, the um, things, but what, what else can people do to cultivate the sort of awareness that would stop them being so full of emissions? <laughs> Uh, sorry, which is something being so what? Well, like being part of consumer society that that creates the emission, you know, giving a trigger to an ongoing society of. So, how do you cultivate states of mind mm. that of sort of contentment? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, that's a that's a really interesting. Um, there's there's what you can do in the form of say working directly mind, the mind on the mind through meditation practice. Um, and then there's the practice of it was much more basic than that. It's like what you do um, and with your body, I yeah. guess. Like, so what's it like when you don't buy that thing? 
that thing that you really I remember I got my my first iPhone about 7 years ago it was an iPhone 4S mm. and at the time it was really cool mm. right and I was I'd wanted an iPhone <laughs> since there were iPhones and I hadn't and I and I just had this craving that just completely <laughs> overtook my mind and eventually when I was actually really broke I I bought myself an <laughs> iPhone and I really couldn't afford it and I was literally on the way home in the train and I'd barely gotten it out of the box before I realized it was just a phone. Uh-huh. I mean, it was a nice phone for its time, yeah. but it, it was a phone, you know. And so the, what's, well, the interesting practice is to say, well, what happens if I don't? And then notice you, the, the sort of the craving and the, you know, the fireworks show yeah. of, of your craving coming up. But just sit still with that and notice that and see if you can let it go. I mean – Having said that, I mean, I know that's a good practice and contentment is much is very necessary, but also know that, um, you know, uh, working on consumer choices is really only a relatively small part of the of the puzzle. Okay. Just, a, um, I, this is such a lot in this, but um, in, the, um, in those points, is there anyone that you'd like to pick out and just say is important for campaigners, you know, this existential crisis, how are we going to endure it? Any one of those points that you think is really important? I guess the part that comes to mind is where it says staying open, staying grounded, sit with hatred until you feel the fear beneath that. And then staying open, staying grounded, sit with fear until you feel the compassion beneath that. Mm. I mean, so many people I know in the climate movement are really good people, um, but we can get really quite angry. Mm. And fair enough, anger is just energy. But you can transform that energy into something which isn't doesn't have to be anger, but has all of the energy of anger, mm. but and is just as determined, but but doesn't polarize with people unnecessarily. Mm. And so, um, I guess just like having your heart open to going, yeah, I am angry. Of course, I'm angry. Mm. But underneath that, there's fear. Mm. And then underneath that fear is actually, I just want life. Mm. You know, it's a really basic thing. Mm. So, and I think reconnecting with that deeper heart response of I'm in this for life. I'm in, I'm in this for, you know, just survival. I'm in this for my mm. children or whoever it is. Mm. Um, that that connecting with that and not getting caught up in the head response of, of anger and hate, mm. I think that's that's the, that's the thing I would emphasize. The th- can I just say to you the thing I like best about sure, it? Sure, in the first know. part where they have this idea, and I mentioned sort of a woman warrior going in there and to the centre of power, to the very heart of the barbarian power, yeah. and dismantling the weapons. Yeah. To remove these weapons in every sense of the word, they must go into the corridors of power where the decisions are made. Yeah. The weapons are made by the human mind so they can be unmade by the human mind. Exactly. Now, I meet a lot of people talk about revolution. I imagine, you know, cars burning and buildings falling and like mm. a wartime situation. But this dismantling at the very heart, it's yeah. like a Hollywood film where you go in and just disconnect some terrible cat- apocalypse is going to happen. You know? Absolutely. And the ultimate, the ultimate level of that is the, is the idea of a fixed ego identity, that there's I, I am I, mm. you know, that's, that's mm. so really that's what you, what's being dismantled is the kind of the assertion of a separate ego, the assertion of a separate uh, self in a way, not that you don't exist, but that, 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 that there's idea of the kind of ego identity that you think yeah. is in the middle of your experience really isn't. Um, and so um, by letting, by, Defusing that bomb, if you like, the bomb of the ego. Uh, that's that's how we how we ultimately will will transform uh, our world. I mean, I can see a situation where I mean, really, the problem is that um, that's a very slow process, mm. uh, and t- climate change is anything is is moving mm. at a ferocious speed. So I think we need both, um, you know, the outer change, but and and that inner. Um, defusing of that of that ego bomb even if we fix the climate problem there's a, something like another i don't know 10 other huge yeah. problems in the 21st century and the common characteristic is they're all extremely complex um and so i think they're all going to require a high degree of cooperation to fix them and they're also all going to require becoming less and less attached to an egoistic sense of self mm. um and so i think you know yes even though climate change is is very, very urgent, there's still a great need for this kind of 
defusing of those weapons on the on the on the, the weapons of the ego, basically. Yeah. Well, I was talking to someone on a very practical level about um, executives of companies that are now on the fossil fuel boom. Still, it's still a boom for them. They're yeah. still exporting. They're still making money. But how to turn them around? And he said, "Well, it's an existential crisis from them. They could go out of existence if yep. they don't transform." Yeah, so yeah. that's a mindset that could transform if if they had the idea to do it. Yeah, that that's an interesting one. There's like there's this other Tibetan image that comes to my mind which is called the wheel of life and there's six realms of existence, yeah. one of which is in the realm of the angry gods, the titans. Mm. And that's really like a lot of politics is that, a lot of uh, a lot of big business is that realm essentially. And in each realm, if, if you want to try and teach um, the Buddhist teaching in that realm, it takes slightly different forms. And in that form, that realm, it takes the teaching of a, the form of a, of a Buddha appearing with a sword. And the sword is the sword of wisdom. And in other words, it takes the, the very, very sharp edge of wisdom um, to cut through all of the kind of normal responses of someone who's just in that kind of, you know, it's you or me, I'm going to win, I'm going to beat you kind mm-hmm. of mindset and the whole the sort of wisdom says reality like is not going to serve you well if you carry on like that mm. okay well that's very exciting to talk to you and and very hopefully listeners you will enjoy that wisdom too so just say again the name of the text so that listeners might be able to find it on the internet sure if you just google uh, shambhala warrior mind training shambhala is s-h-a-m-b-h-a-l-a Shambhala Warrior Mind Training. And the author is Akupa. Akupa. Yes, A-K-U-P-P-A. So thank you very much, Tejapala. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show. Beyond Zero Emissions is a think tank in Melbourne where we research solutions to the climate change problem. We find out how each sector of the Australian economy can rapidly get to zero emissions using technology that's proven and affordable We've also started to branch out into uh, regions, for example, the Northern Territory, and published about that, how it could, we could be exporting hydrogen and renewable energy instead of drilling for more gas. And uh, we've, we did a, had a great success in Port Augusta where we, we gained many allies, for example, the Doctors for the Environment, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, who took many actions to, but based on our research, which showed how Port Augusta could transition. So we're really there thinking away and we need many allies, we need your donations, we need your support really. And so look up the name Beyond Zero Emissions. I don't always say exactly what it is, but it is a quite an established and uh, powerful, small but powerful organisation. So tonight's show, we'd like to thank um, Adriapala Rolls, Jason John, Jagveer Singh, and uh, uh, <clears throat> Hoda Baraka from 350.org will go out on a song by Kavisha Masella in a moment. And I hope all of you who are listening this tonight, if you heard the four episodes on uh, the September the 20th strike, you couldn't be not knowing the date. Please look up the School Strike for Climate website and find out where near you there is an event. It's usually going to be at lunchtime say between 12 and uh, 2 o'clock in most places, big capital cities and also regional towns will be having an event and we'd like your support. It will lead into the United Nations big climate emergency meeting three days later and if they can have evidence that so many people around the world really care, say 800,000 Australians, just think how, how much effort it's going to take between now and then to get that many people out, I think it would make a big impression. So thank you very much. Thanks to Andy and Michaela. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck. Every day I walk the hundred years to the hill where my great-great-granddaughter sits. I carry words of blessing and reach to touch her back. Feeling me near, she turns, sad-eyed and heavy with grief. What was it like, she asks, when the great whales swam? When the birds sang you awake? When the rains came soft 
and the soil smelled sweet underfoot, and the blessings catching my throat. On darker days, she turns, her famished face charred, and eyes sunk in their bony orbits burn with curses. And the blessings froth at my mouth with the poisonous spume of betrayal. On the darkest of all days, I walk the hundred years and find no one there. Let today be the bright day. Let today be the bright day. I lay my hand upon her back and feeling me there, she turns and blesses me, saying, your love was fierce enough, sweet ancestor. Your love was fierce enough. <laughs>